Hey, tonight I'm really excited because, um, as you know, uh, I don't like to be up front every week bringing the message. I feel like um, I'm just too old to do that every week. And it's better when, I would say, younger people bring the same message that I do because I think there's a strength in that kind of diversity. So today's no exception. Uh, next couple of weeks, we're going to hear from uh, Leonor Inez Ortega-Till, uh, also known as Jeff the Girl. All right. And next week, we'll hear from uh, Jesse Boy Heilman. But uh, I just want to say that, uh, that Leonor has been on staff at SCUM for quite some time now. Uh, she was part of the original group of folks that started SCUM of the Earth at, out of the Bible study that Five Arn had begun. And uh, she knows what she's talking about. She loves Jesus. And she's a really, really good speaker, honestly, better than I am. And she's easier to look at. So come on up, Leonor Inez Ortega-Till. I just wanted him to talk first because you guys would have thought I was doing announcements and then you would have talked over me. So I was like, Mike, if you talk first, then they won't think I'm just giving announcements and they'll just talk. So anyway, um, I'm going to tell a couple stories in here and I'm starting with the first one about, have you guys seen on Santa Fe and 11th, that old building that's for sale? It's called the Ozatlan and it's falling apart. It's, you know, it's a big old venue and there's no... No reason you would go there. There's luchadores there, but you wouldn't want to go see Mexican wrestling match matches there. Um, so that's that building. But for me, on 11-11-1997, that was the most spiritual place um, in the world. I had one of my... Um, I was blessed to have one of my most amazing thin places there, as Mike has called them, this place where God seems to step into your life. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background. It was our newest album ever, CD release show, and there was a huge line, like from 11th down Santa Fe, and I was kind of, I was pretty much a space cadet running around looking for my mom, because my mom always came to Five Iron shows. So I'm looking for her, and I saw my dad, and that was huge, because it had been two years since my dad came to a Five Iron show. And the first time he came, he sat for one song, and then he got up and left. And later we talked about it, and he said, that is not Christian music. I'm sorry. I know gospel. I grew up playing music and gospel. We can't understand the words. Look at the way you guys dress. Like, it's not Christian music. And he was really bummed when I stopped going to college so that I could tour around with, you know, a bunch of guys and stay in hotel rooms and be in a van. And no daughter of his was going to do that. So the fact that he was at the show was super huge. And I was kind of nervous. He and my mom sat in the balcony. And the show proceeded. There was like three opening bands, and then it was our, our turn. And something amazing happened. We played this song called Every New Day, and it's a worship song for us. And people were, it was a typical punk rock show. People were moshing. There was circle pits. There was like ska dance things happening. People were just rocking out, and it was sold out, so it was packed. And when we stopped playing Every New Day, we went right into As the Deer. And the same kids started worshiping raising their hands, kneeling, just sweaty and smiling and dirty and worshiping God. And it was one of those things where it's almost like a veil, like you see like a sheet 
of peace and calm and joy resides over every person. It's what I imagine it is like an ax when the Holy Spirit falls on everybody. It's just this hush. So that kind of happened. And we're singing for about 45 minutes acapella style, just worshiping. No one cares about people start getting on stage. People are just worshiping. And I can see out of the corner of my eye the promoter. And he's kind of getting anxious after about 30 minutes. He's kind of just pacing around, looking like, okay, (laughs) time to go. And so I just walked over there, and he goes, did all these people just get saved? I was like, well, his name was Dan Steinberg, and he was not religious. We called him Dan Slimeberg. He was one of those kind of promoters. Um, And so he was really confused, and he was like, how long are you guys going to keep singing like this? And I said, I don't know until God wants us to stop. And he said, well, God knows how to sell the tickets. And I said, <laughs> he cashed in on our career pretty early. But anyway, um, so, so that was profound for him and very confusing. And he got to watch it. Um, even though he wasn't participating, he was watching it. And after the show, I went to the balcony and found my parents. And my dad was weeping. He was beside himself. He had been so humbled and so rocked by seeing people he had judged Unlikely people who are moshing and having a good time and, you know, safety pins in their ears and nose and whatever. It's the same people worshiping God. And it just rocked him. And he asked me to forgive him. And from then on, he was like my biggest fan. Like, and, and anything I could do, you know, he understood it. He understood my calling. So I tell you that story because it's kind of similar to what we're going to talk about tonight. The shepherds, it's unlikely people in an unlikely place, being met by angels. And because of this unlikely group of people in an unlikely place, people's everyday lives are changed. Okay, so the passage tonight is Luke 2, 8 through 20. Awesome. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Or glory, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay. This Christmas season, we are going through an Advent guide. So we've been using this little book. I don't have one up here. I'm sorry. But uh, it's made by Urban Sky, and they talk about a thing called a thin place. And basically, that's a metaphor for when we feel super close to God, when the area between God and us is super thin. And I don't know if you've had those moments, but they're worth having. (laughs) Um. So, so far during Advent season, we've been talking about how certain angels are talking to people. The first one was Mary. Um, Actually, the first one was Elizabeth, and then Mary, and then Zechariah last week we talked about. And now some angels are going to talk to some shepherds. Verse 8. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So how do we picture the shepherds these days? When you look at your Christmas card, when you look at your um, VeggieTales nativity scene, what do they look like? They're kicked back. They're clean. They're, they're kind of little chubby, precious moment cheeks. They're nice little boys or men, young men. We think of them like sitting around on some nice grassy knoll um, around a fire, just pondering the heavens, looking up in the sky. And then in our Christmas stories, a sheep comes up to them and says, do you see what I see? And they talk back to the sheep. And <laughs> I don't know, that was kind of freaky. I, was, I looked up, I Googled, you know, shepherd songs, and it's like, and then the sheep said, and I'm like, who thought that was a good idea? Um, but it's funny, because like in all the nativities, the animals are kind of smiling. Like they have that knowing look. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, they are young. But honestly, shepherds in the way we think of them weren't how they really were. They were uneducated. They were usually poor. Um, they, weren't looked, they weren't looked at like we think of them as spiritual figures at all. In fact, they were pretty much social outcasts. They were just ordinary, everyday guys that, necess- that weren't necessarily trusted. In fact, shepherds could not testify in court. They were known for maybe taking a little milk, maybe a little bit of wool, maybe a lamb if they wanted one for their families. They just, you know, they weren't always the utmost. And even though these shepherds, who were probably near um, a pasture near Bethlehem, um, were temple, probably temple shepherds, which meant that they had to make sure that there were unblemished lambs that could be sacrificed. But even though they worked for the temple, they didn't have a relationship with rabbis like a pastor and a janitor. Not buddies, not friends, not considered, you know, hired staff. They just weren't looked up on. Um, so these downtrodden everyday guys were going to be the first ones that the angels are going to talk to about the message of Christ being born. So one minute the shepherds are talking quietly, and then all of a sudden the hills are ablaze, an angel comes in the heavenly host. And who is not caught off guard? The angels. The angels have been watching everything unfold since the beginning of time. They were there at creation. They were there when Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were there when Lucifer fell. They were there when God said he's going to set this right, and they knew that God's son was going to become man. And so they're excited to proclaim it. Things are going to get going now. Things are going to, good things are going to happen. So we read, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This angel bringing the good news, it's the word um, good tidings. We say good tidings. And it's a Greek word which later gets changed a bit to become our word for evangelize. It's to tell the good news, to spread the word. And not just for some people, but for all people. So he's stoked. He's stoked because this message is not just for the pious Jew. It's for all people. Verse 11 tells us that the baby is born to you, and this is a plural you. It's not just for Mary and Joseph. It's for implicitly the shepherds and all people. So this is pretty exciting. The significance of the town of David, they would have understood because that is Bethlehem. It implies that the Messiah would be an ancestor of David and that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And they knew all of the old scriptures. I'll tell you a couple of them. Um, He has been raised up as a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. Salvation from our enemies in the hand of all of those who hate us. So they're super psyched and excited to meet this Savior. Here's where it gets fun, when my notes get all stuck. 
Okay, so here comes this heavenly host. And when we think of a heavenly host, it comes from the Greek word strategia, which means strategy, which means army. This is a great army. We picture angels like women on harps and beautiful cherubs again. Like we picture things all funky. But honestly, a lot of the angels were men and they were strong and they were an army. So picture an army worshiping. And when we say worshiping, we think of singing, but this is not necessarily singing. They could be talking or chanting. So these people are, these angels are behind the shepherds, just worshiping, just going at it because they're excited about what God's going to do. They're giving glory. And the angels are promising peace. And they're saying there will be peace for God and mankind. That is totally the message of salvation. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds have a choice here. They can either go in haste or they can say no. Of course, who's going to say no? They're super stoked. So they hurry to Bethlehem to the town that David mentioned by the angels. It's not very far away, maybe six miles. And of course, the shepherds know what they're looking for because they're told he's in a manger. So the way we picture the manger is it's the houses had maybe little caves under them. We don't really know. It's not a barn like we think of a barn, and we're not sure, but the families had animals. So it could have been a cave underneath the house. It could have been a little house next to the house. We're not sure, but they knew where to find them. And so we don't really talk about this in the story, but they're having to go door to door to door to door to look for this baby. And when they find him, they talk with Mary and Joseph and tell them all that they'd seen. This is what I like to think about also. When they got super stoked and excited and told them, we just saw an angel. We just saw a bunch of angels. Is Mary just sitting there like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Shh, don't wake up, baby God. God, don't wake up, baby God. Um, I am a virgin, did I tell you that? Like, they're kind of showing, sharing stories, one up in each other, and like, you know, this is exciting. So they're sharing each other's stories, and then the shepherds go out and go and tell other people. So this message is not just for this small, tight-knit. It's for everybody. And they're excited. So they're going and they're sharing what God has done. Um, Let's see. Where am I? And there we have it. I'm done. Just kidding. Um, The shepherds, what do they do after they're done? After they spread this message, message around, we're told that they go back to work. I just picture like, you know, the giant less than sign, like a crescendo. It's like, like big, awesome, amazing, thin place time. I'm going to go back to the fields now and go back to work and watch sheep and just sit around and think about it. They didn't go to Bible college. They didn't go to do mission work. They didn't become missionaries walking around and sharing the story. They didn't become evangelists. They stayed where they were and they worked and they glorified and praised God where they were in their context. That's okay. That was good enough, right? So let's think about this. God could have chosen Herod. He could have chosen the Sanhedrin, the high priest. He could have even chosen the bad guys like the Romans. He could have chosen anybody to spread the message that the Messiah was here. But he chose the the one group of people who were not even allowed to testify to testify about the coming king. And why would he do that? I don't know. I like to think it's because God delights in using every ordinary day people in everyday ordinary places to proclaim a message of hope that gets people excited. It's kind of like the story that I told at the beginning. For some reason, I don't know why, God chose to take eight scrappy-looking, unlikely people and give them some tiny amount of talent to do something that would give people joy. I don't know why. It's very bizarre about God, but I love it. I also think that 
there's something to be said for cultivating a thin place. I want to talk about that a bit because we are scum of the earth church and there's no reason to act like we don't care about the arts. We do care about the arts to some degree. And I want to talk about cultivating a thin place. And you might be wondering, wait, are you saying that we can manufacture, create, cultivate a meeting with the omnipresent, omniscient, awesome God? Can we make that? Can we fabricate it? I don't know. I kind of believe we can to some degree. I do. I do. Um, There's something to be said for the intense, deep, real place God hits us when we worship. There's something that happens when we worship. Let me ask you. I've been asking a lot of people, when do you feel closest to God? Because we've been talking about thin places, and I've been asking people, when do you feel close to God? Do you know what a lot of people that go to scum say? Oh, when I'm on my drive home and to Kansas and I'm listening to Staves Acre and that one song comes off, I just start weeping. I just start weeping. Um, or that time that I was at Cornerstone in that mosh pit and the Holy Spirit just fell. That was awesome. I was at that concert and I just felt God there. Or when I perform, when I'm on stage and I'm giving my all to God and the whole band is in the pocket playing the same song and the same notes just in a zone and God hits for some reason, I feel God. Why is that? I don't know. Should we be surprised? Should we be amazed that God wants to show up there? Why should words affect people so much? Words like healing hands of God, have mercy on our unclean souls once again. Jesus Christ, light of the world burning bright within our hearts. They're just words said by common, common, common everyday people. But God chooses to use common people. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Does that resonate with you? Scum of the earth, does it resonate with you? <laughs> it resonates with me. I'm thinking I'm the person who went to school an hour early so I could hide my nasty old saxophone case. I don't want, you know, that's embarrassing. Um, this part reminded me of a story that I want to share. I had a younger brother, and his name was Carlos. And when we were young, I was a really strong, hyper, competitive kid. And he was very meek and mild and quiet. And to me... That verse, I kind of think of him. He was weak. He was foolish. He was quiet, something that was not. Um, So one night when we were in high school, well, I was in high school. He was in junior high. We went to youth group. And something crazy happened. We got home, and this is in Greeley, Colorado, and then we drove to Pierce, Colorado. And the whole time he's saying, okay, when Abraham felt close to God, he would build a little altar of rocks. And I felt God tonight. He's telling me, and he's a real quiet kid, and he's going, I felt God tonight. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to build an altar. I was like, cool, just tell mom, you know. (laughs) So we got home, and it's about 10 at night by now because the commute. And he goes in the garage, and it's summer, and he gets two-by-fours, and he's a tiny little scrawny kid. He gets two-by-fours, and it takes him about two hours, and he builds a cross and buries it in the backyard. And then he asks my mom if he and I can sleep under it. 
And she says, of course. And that was kind of weird to me. And she's like, I'll go get sleeping bags. And we're like, oh, okay. Um, so she goes and gets sleeping bags, and we sleep under it. And it's way back. I mean, we have like an acre. It's way back by the wood pile. You don't sleep back there. So we're sleeping in it, and we're laying there. And the stars started to fall. One by one by one, stars were shooting stars. Serious. We were seeing them, and I don't usually see them. They were falling. And we were just, we were over, overcome. Again, it was one of those things where it's like, God is here. He is pleased with what you did. Look at what he's doing for us. On the next morning, we woke up, and, you know, we're all dewy and wet. And my mom comes out, and she goes, how was the meteor shower? And we said, what? And she goes, yeah, I was on the news last night. That's why you're sleeping out here, right? You guys want to see the meteor shower? And we're like, oh, oh. But it was really special because... This is one of those things you wouldn't believe me unless you knew I was telling the truth. God did that for us. He did. For, that, for us that night, it was for us. It was special. And it was amazing. And we had no concept that we didn't know it was going to happen. And that night when my brother got out of the car and went to the garage and dug a hole and built all this stuff, he was not weak. And he was not foolish. And he was not a less than because he was doing it for God. And he had energy and he had haste. And it reminds me of the shepherds. It's so unlikely. It's so unlikely. And I think about my brother, and I think that he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care if my mom thought it was going to be weird or if I thought it was going to be weird. And the shepherds didn't care. I mean, people didn't trust them, but they didn't care. And then I have to ask myself, do I care what people think? When I'm going to go all crazy evangelistic and talk about something that God is doing, when there's a thin place, do I care what people think? Or have I noticed in my life that there's a temptation to make two of me? Is there Leonor that goes to Scum of the Earth Church and prays with her friends and prays with those that she works with and raises her kids in a Christian home and, you know, listens to music about Jesus in her car and gets pumped and has thin places about 10 times every day, right? I'm on fire. I'm with God. And then there's me. And hangs out with my friends who don't believe like I believe. And they say, oh, are you preaching? And I'm like, mm, okay. Uh, or, or, you know, they make a big deal out of going to church or something different. And I'm just like, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a pastor. You know, do I feel a temptation to do that? I do. Sometimes, or when I'm getting ready to write my news feed, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to really be offended if I write that. But I got my Christian friends and my other friends, and I don't know. It's a temptation. But I have to remember, like, like my brother, like the shepherds, like all of us, There's got to be one. Because honestly, if we're talking about loving people who don't believe like we believe, which is more offensive and which is more confusing? Showing up a person who is divided or a person who knows their their personhood. I know my womanhood. I know who I am. I am this and I can be this and this and this and this and this. So deal, right? (laughs) Okay. I have to actively choose to live in the thin places where they occur. And I have to remember that the thin places are not only just for me. The thin place was not just for the shepherds. They didn't just go back to work that day. They were told to do something. Our thin places, that crazy time with Dave's Acre in the car, that was not just for you. Somehow it's not. God can bless somebody through that, right? And that thin place on the stage wasn't just for me. It was for my dad. So we could have a relationship. So he could understand me and eventually help to support and care about a place like scum of the earth and for my mom too and for dan steinberg right he had to see people it, what blew his mind was seeing people that he saw at like total chaos shows or bad religion shows the same the exact same kids 
because Denver's small. He saw them at the shows, and then he saw them worshiping. Hey, but they could have chose to be embarrassed, you know. Don't go into that thin place. Many of you are musicians. Many are actors, curators. You do film. You're poets. Some are authors. Some are chefs. Some are academic. Some are comedic. Some are physical, you know, what is that called? Sports athletic. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> I don't remember. Somewhere in my brain. Um, okay, quit laughing because this is serious. <laughs> um, my question is, whatever your medium of choice, whatever it is. I forgot to say photographer. Zachary, I wanted to say photographer. Whatever your medium of choice, can people see God in what you do? Can you offer hope in what you create? Can you cultivate thin places in what you do? And what about our church? What about Scum of the Earth Church? Can we? Can we cultivate thin places without our building or in our building, wherever we go? Something to think about. What about in our community? What about Denver? What about the world? Well, we can't get too hung up on where. Because like I said, it's about unlikely people and unlikely places. We may not have our building, but that doesn't matter. There's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of people to love. God will show, out, show up wherever he wants to. Sometimes for me, the Holy of Holies is on a Saturday night at the high dive. I know it's a bar, but God shows up there. Sometimes when I'm there with some of my closest brothers and sisters listening to music, something amazing happens. And I see a bunch of scenester kids, and they're kind of weepy, and they're like, man, I feel so much joy. What's going on? Well, you didn't invite us, but we're here, and God's here too. Hope you're enjoying it, you know? It's like God can make his thin place wherever. I'm, I'm serious. I was at the Bad Religion show not very long ago with a bunch of people from Scum, and they're singing songs that I don't agree with, but they help. the way I explain it is they help me understand what I don't believe to create what I do believe. Does that make sense? I don't know what I do believe until I see exactly what I don't believe. And then I'm like, that's what I don't believe. And <laughs> I had to do that in college too. Like I had my notebook and it was like, what the teacher says to pass the test, what the Bible says. So afterwards you can throw all that crap away. Just remember what you have to remember. Um, but my point was at the Bad Religion show, I was feeling God's Holy Spirit so strong. I totally was. I did not care. It didn't matter. God was going to meet me there if I let him. Um, Obviously, we, I just want to say this. It's sad that I have to say this. We don't need to use drugs and alcohol to cultivate a thin place. We shouldn't have to. I've been there. Some people have been there. We shouldn't have to. If we have to, there's a problem. God wants to meet us where we are. We shouldn't have to eliminate our minds so that we can meet God. That's kind of a cop-out. And if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that later. Um, I want to talk about how we can stretch our imaginations about where we deem worthy of God's presence. Oh, the mountains are so holy. You know, you live in Colorado. The mountains are so holy. Some of my friends in my small group were telling me a lot of people who move to Colorado from other states, they say they move here because of the mountains and then they never go there. And my friends were saying, really, they're running from something else. They're not coming to the mountains. They're running from something. But we say the mountains are beautiful. A church can be beautiful. Um, but a pasture, my little yellow house, the Tivoli Safeway, Colfax on a Saturday night. Yes, these are places that are very worthy of God's presence. There is nowhere safe from God's love. That is so awesome. I love that. There are some things to think about and to ponder. And the final verse I'm going to go back to take a look at that I kind of skipped over, but I want to mention 
It's the little verse that sticks out from the rest of the story. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a lot for Mary. She's thinking back to her meeting with Elizabeth, fleeing to the countryside to be with her cousin. She's thinking back to all the things that she has said on her lips, all the Old Testament and the prophecies about her little baby. Um, And it's funny that they say these things, these things. She treasured up these things because these things are some of the craziest things that have ever happened to mankind that we've experienced. They call them things. But um, maybe Craig can give us some more detail as to what things represented in in the New Testament. But I like to think of these things as the thin places. It's the thin places. Because whether or not we're in a relationship with Mary's son, whether we have a relationship with him or not, we cannot pretend that his birth did not affect each of us today. So this Christmas season, do not be afraid, scum of the earth. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Around 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born, and he is Messiah the Lord.